Welcome to Adulting on the Spectrum. I am Andrew Comero, an autistic certified financial planner. I co-run Adulting on the Spectrum with Eileen Lamb. Hey guys, I'm Eileen Lamb. I'm an autistic author and photographer from France. I have two children on the spectrum and we are hosting this podcast with Andrew adulting on the spectrum because we really want to highlight real voices of autistic adults and not just the inspirational stories. So we want to hear from you and other autistic people. And today our guest is Mark Fleming. I hope I'm not butchering your name. Uh, and Andrew is going to introduce him. So Mark is someone who exercises more in a day than I do in a year, uh, which doesn't say very much. He has his own business helping others be, as you can see from the t-shirt, hopefully equally fit, which is a great mission that I believe in, even if I don't do it myself, um, I should. And, and it does a lot of advocacy in addition to his entrepreneurship, which I would say is just an extension of his advocacy with who he helps. Um, so Mark. Thanks for joining us. Is there anything you'd like to add to uh, your bio slash description? Sure. Thanks for having me on. Uh, first off, uh, just want to point out I have my master's in exercise science. Um, and so, yeah. What was that exercise science? Yes, that is exercise science. That sounds way better than like physical education or something. I really like, <laughs> like, is there is there another equivalent masters that you would get like a I'm thinking of a PE teacher are they all exercise science or um it depends on the school what it's named like my uh mine had human performance was kind of the overall scope so my degree actually says human performance um but you have exercise science which is the actual study you had uh sport pedagogy which is your PE um, teachers. That's kind of the, the term for that. And then you have sport management under that as well. That, well I mean, that's really impressive. So thank you for that addition. Um, hey, Mark. Thanks for hey. joining us today. There is one question that we need to ask you before we start. It's, you know, autistic people, they like to identify themselves some as autistic persons, some as person with autism, Asperger's on the spectrum. What is your preference? It doesn't matter to me because uh, there's sometimes in the English language, one sounds better than the other. Um, so when I'm talking, I just use whatever feels most comfortable. Um, it really doesn't matter to me because uh, I have done so much more than just be a person with autism, I'm not our autistic person, whatever you want to say. I've done a whole lot more than just that. And so uh, there's so many more identifiers that identify me besides that one. And I'm not going to get hung up on just one of my identifiers. I love this so much. I think, I think that feel was the, the same best, as Andrew. Yeah, I think that was the best answer to that question that we've we've had. I don't know if anyone can top that. Thank you, Mark. No problem. Can you tell us a bit more about your autism journey? Uh, when were you diagnosed? What was it like? Yeah, so first I was diagnosed with PDD-NOS at the age of three. 
um, for the audience, that's pervasive developmental disorder, not otherwise specified. It just means that the doctors knew something was off, but they didn't know what was off. And due to my issues being occupational, um, uh, gross and fine motor, and then speech, uh, it allowed me to get those therapies um, because I was falling down every single day to where the school had my parents on uh, speed dial. Um, and my parents had the plastic surgeon on speed dial. That's how, how many times I hit my head. Um, I couldn't write, I couldn't use a pencil. Um, and obviously you can't go to school if you're not writing. And then speech, I had very little um, inflection in my voice to where uh, people couldn't tell if I was excited, happy, sad, all that stuff. Um, and so after a big move down to Tampa when I was about 11 years old, Due to that big change, I ended up regressing a little bit, and that's when I got the Asperger's diagnosis, um, even though uh, it's not really relevant today. Um, but that got me into social skills um, classes and starting along that path. I didn't stay in those classes because um, I'd already had friends at school and, and everything, so to me, real life experience was worth more than uh, a social setting where everything was planned for you to do. Um, took me about seven, eight years to finally accept my diagnosis. And after that, it took almost 10 years to even find out I had sensor issues. Um, and that was when um, I started fully kind of grasp things and, and dive into the community. Um, but that's kind of the journey of my diagnosis. Can you tell us a little bit more about the sensory issues uh, and why you discovered them later in life too? Yeah, so my sensory issues are kind of constant. So nothing's like too much and nothing's like under the, the, the feeling stuff. So most of it's with um, my, my smell and my, and hearing. So like every time the vacuum was on uh, at my parents' house growing up, I would go to my room because it was loud. And due to having autism, I didn't talk about it with anybody. Thus, I didn't know it was abnormal. I thought people just dealt with it and that's what I was doing. And so I didn't realize this until actually I was working as an ABA uh, assistant, a behavior assistant, and a TV was given some pretty loud feedback and no one else in the room knew what was going on and I pointed it out and once it got cut off the the, the girl at the time quit running around and, and acting crazy and so that was kind of like oh wow I actually I do have sensory issues you know it, it was a epiphany you know like oh my gosh what else do I have turns out that I can't I can't go by a candle store because I just immediately start, start wheezing, you know, like my nose is very, very sensitive. Um, I always, ever since I was a little kid, I cut out the, the tag in my shirt and my parents didn't mention it any of those times. So I didn't know like, Oh, I, I just did it because it was uncomfortable. I didn't know that no one else did it. I just did it, you know? 
Um, I was very fortunate to have um, somewhat understanding parents to uh, give me that kind of room to do those things without get, getting on to me about ruining clothes or being lazy because I wasn't vacuuming and stuff like that. Um, those are the main three that I deal with. Yeah, I think it's very true what you're saying about how we're so used to these things that we don't even realize that other people don't feel the aggression from like outside noise. And for me, there are a lot of things that I thought were normal. Like I cannot do dishes. I know no one likes to do it, but it's just a touching, you know, knowing that something can touch my hands, for instance, mm -hmm. in the sink is just like instantly makes me want to like run away um and a lot of noises sometimes charlie my son and i just start covering our ears and everyone else is just like i'm like D you didn't hear that and i always saw that people felt the same way we did um and it's, up until my diagnosis it's true that i didn't realize i i had sensory issues too that's why i thought it was interesting what you said i thought it was just normal stuff people didn't like <laughs> Yeah, yeah. That, that's exactly what happened. And and for me, I, I have a very severe, you know, light sensitivity. Uh, my my wife is in, eternally upset that no plants will ever grow in our house, right? Mm -hmm. And we also live in the woods too, so there's no chance there's no <laughs> chance for them even outside either, right? No. Um, but you know, I always just thought like, oh, that this bothered everyone, right? This way or you know, that, you know, the, the person behind me while driving with the, you know, the lights on, like would infuriate me. And now it's like, uh, I, I think that just bothered me a bit more, right, than, you know, than everyone else. So it's interesting that you knew about, again, that you had autism and, you know, sensory issues that go along with that. But you know, I'm even discovering more stuff again, just as time goes on, right? Like, oh, you know, if if you've never known any different, right, then it's what you assume, right? Like, I'm not anxious. No, I'm, I'm anxious all the time. I've just never known not being anxious, right? So thank you. Um, so Mark, we, we've spoken once before. It was like in March of last year. I think it was like the beginning of the pandemic. I, I think it was like the beginning, the beginning. I, I don't even remember. It was, um, I think things were still open, right? And I think we talked in like the beginning of March. But, um, you know, you are a for-profit business owner who's autistic and, you know, what's, what I really liked about, um, again, you in general, that that first time we spoke was, you know, you're you're an entrepreneur as well, and you have a business that's for profit, but also for profit for good, very much giving back and utilizing your special interests, right, to help yourself and help others. Uh, what parts would you like to share about that, either? you know, advice for listeners wanting to do the same or just anything you want to share regarding that? Well, when it comes to uh, creating a business, especially when you're autistic, it's it's good to find a, a a path or any career field is find a path that even if, say, your interests are high in the train, 
that maybe you find a parallel. So maybe being the train conductor or working on the tracks or, or something to do with trains because I wasn't always interested just in exercise or the science of exercise. I was really interested in sports and playing sports and being involved in that. But unfortunately that didn't, that didn't happen, you know? And so I had to find a different kind of parallel path so that I could keep that interest going without, you know, completely altering who I was. Um, so I think that's one of the biggest things when it comes to, to someone wanting to go down that kind of similar path. Um, but also when it comes to business, biggest advice is use the people around you um, because starting a business is very hard. Um, it's even harder when you don't know how to communicate properly with people or it's really hard for you. Um, and so I had to lean on uh, quite a few people and I'm very lucky to have a great accountant to do all my uh, county every quarter and every year. And I get, have a great lawyer that, that I can trust, you know, because um, those people are there for you. Um, one thing I learned great about having those people around you is if you hire lawyers, hire accountants, they're the ones held liable if you make a mistake. If they tell you what to do and you do it and you get in trouble, they're the ones that actually end up getting in trouble because they're advising. So that's kind of a, a curtain, you know, it's a protective curtain so that you can, can feel safe going forward with your business. I feel like that's exactly the type of advice Andrew would give you centers too. <laughs> Right. Well, I'm glad I'm glad he didn't mention financial advisors in that part of the advice. Now, um, but but yes, very similarly. And but with the advice, I so this is a semi-rhetorical question, but I, I I think it's very important for why somebody likes to do what they do, not just what do they like, right? For example, you know, if if you really like, you know a lot of repetition or remembering facts, right? Then that might be a different job on the train than if you really like socializing with the people on the train or, you know, being an engineer, solving the problems on the train. So kind of like this two-step qualifier when I encourage people to think about is not just what they like to do, but in order to find that, I like how you put it, that parallel you mentioned, right? Have that second qualifier be, well, you know, what, you know, why, why do you like to do it? Right. If that makes sense. I don't know if you agree. Exactly. Yes. Um, awesome. So Mark, your, your business is mostly in, in person. Um, and we know with the COVID pandemic, all of jobs have been affected by this. My job is online. So I don't experience this aspect of the pandemic as heavily as a business like yours. So how has the pandemic forced you to adapt and, and change? Uh, at first, it, it closed it down for almost two months. And so uh, I had to figure out how to go virtual with a lot of my clients, which um, having Autistic children, you probably understand how they need that hands-on a lot of times. And so that made it a lot 
lot more difficult with uh, some of my clients because I wasn't able to uh, prompt them as, as properly as, as I would need in some situations. But a lot of the clients that did go virtual, it was, it was pretty seamless. Um, and thankfully, I live in Florida where we just really didn't care about the pandemic. So we opened up really early. And thankfully, uh, I was able to get at least some clients back into the studio. Um, and then about what towards the end of last year, I started building up my clientele base like crazy. And, and now I'm getting to a point where I'm almost at 30 hours um, towards the start of next month, uh, which is insane for a personal trainer that's also running the business and having side gigs and all that stuff. So it's uh, the response to the shutdown has actually been probably in my best interest because it's picked up so much more than it was going along before. That's good. Good to hear. Thanks. And I know we spoke a little bit about this already, and that is, you know, what advice would you want, would you like to give to other entrepreneurs? And I'll change it slightly. And there was a little bit of, you know, some good advice or some things to look for, but also I am sure that you made some mistakes along the way. I mean, I know I have. Eileen's perfect, so obviously she hasn't. Um, and <laughs> but what what is there any is there any advice that you would like to give to you know current or future you know entrepreneurs as well? Uh make sure your business is completely protected um, because if you have a great idea, people are going to try to take uh, your idea and use it for themselves. So you need to understand that um, from the get-go, you need to try to be protected. So that's why you need a lawyer so that you can get all that stuff done ahead of time and no amount of uh, money can can replace that if someone comes in and tries to take certain aspects of your business away from you. Um, so that's one of the biggest ones is, is probably stay, get and stay protected from, from people that may try to take your ideas because we're very caring people. And, you know, a lot of us are that uh, are autistic and we kind of assume the best in a lot of people, a lot of times. The business world doesn't care. They are, uh, it's a cruel world out there and, and everybody's out to get their own. So just uh, make sure you lawyer up and get, get that protection. Did you, did you have any of those negative experiences or were you, did you have the foresight enough and learn from other mentors before you in order to start from the beginning to where you didn't have those experiences? Um, or a bit of I, I would say I hit almost every bump in the road. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, for, from trying to, to get space, like uh, a brick and mortar, to trying to get carpet, to um, all that stuff. Um, trying to work with a gym and then taking essentially my client list and stuff like that. Um, 
So it, it's, you know, it, because there hasn't been anybody out there like me to go and say, hey, there are these things that you probably need to be aware of, you know, that, that if people are trying to team up with you, you need to be a little more cautious with um, all, all your hard work, you know, like you go out and, and you create this space where marketing plan where, okay, there, here's these 10 places I go to, right? And so people love to come in and just be like, hey, who do you contact for these? We're going to help you like do this thing. And they come in and, and essentially for, for goodwill or not, they end up with, with that list. And so that's something you needed to be protected from, you know, from people from taking that, that stuff because that's your, your pool. You know, that's your, all your hard work, all the research you did to pull from that. So, uh, like I said, hit every bump, but it was worth it. So, how did you go from uh, falling down and uh, not writing to today? Uh, a lot of therapy, a lot of therapy, a lot of OT, a lot of PT. A lot of arguments with my OT about how to write with a pencil, which by the way, I still don't write the right way. I have one of the, the most awkward grips, um, but it works. It got me through grad school. And I think that's the biggest thing to, to tell therapists that may be watching is that it doesn't have to be perfect as long as it, it works, you know? Um, I was very fortunate after PT that I was so interested in sports that I improved that way. And that's one of the reasons why I started my business is that most people aren't interested in sports like I am. And so they, the, those skills get diminished, you know, they regress in those skills and all those conditions can, can pop back up. So I was very, very fortunate that I was kind of determined to improve my skills after um, that so a lot a lot of therapy very I, I am so thankful for early intervention because I wouldn't be who where I am today without it that's that's a good message early inter intervention can make such a big difference um, and I think it's important to raise awareness about the importance of early inter intervention because a lot of parents think that well but you'll catch up and but it's so much easier when you're younger um, to work on these things and um, yeah I wish more people shared their experiences with uh, therapy when they were younger and how it's helped them like you um, I I want to ask a, a question about this podcast because you accepted our in invitation to come and, you know, there is an association with Autism Speaks. And it can be hard right now because of what's happening on social media. Um, there is a divide in the autism community. And we want to know um, how you feel about it, if you're ready to handle the possible hate that's going to come at you. And, yeah, how, how do you deal with that? So, first off, Autism Speaks... Um, I won't say much, but they obviously are listening um, now and they're making strides to improve. I don't think that we need to dive so deep into cancel culture that we end up uh, 
losing one of the biggest uh, awareness pieces to our community. It just so uh, reasonable and logical. Could, could we duplicate <laughs> a thousand of you? You know, <laughs> I wish, I wish. Um, and then um, the ABA stuff. So uh, one of the reasons why Andrew asked me on was because I, um, I posted about a, uh, a bunny that me and this company, the AE Wood Foundation, helped create to uh, provide um, more autism advocates like me to sit on um, high support need treatment teams uh, meetings for uh, a ABA firm. Um, and so I worked in ABA. I saw the, the benefits of ABA. I saw the, the downsides to ABA. What I'll say mainly about ABA is it's a science. It's not, uh, people are, are the ones conducting the science. It's not actual science that is the destructive part. We have to realize that, right? We don't, we don't go after OT, we don't go after PT, we don't go after speech, we don't go after exercise science, we don't go after biology, we don't go after all these other sciences. So why are we going after one science? It doesn't make any sense. Yes, it is rooted in some, some dark places, but that's not where it is today. Um, I loved Eileen's video uh, stating the, what ABA really is, because I, I lived that. Um, I saw, saw the benefits. I saw all the good stuff. I saw that, um, the, the PEC system working. I saw all of that, you know, and those horror stories are mainly from individuals that aren't practicing properly, or they're practicing under such extreme conditions that, that they shouldn't have been conducting that session in the first place because of uh, caregiver fatigue, right? Because these are individuals that are humans, you know, that, that get fatigued from working with high support need individuals that are uh, conducting or, or displaying behaviors that are traumatic to the person working for them the family members, everybody involved. And to just say that a person can, can go through, through that and, and be mentally okay day in and day out is, is something we need to talk about as well, you know? Can't just say, you know, that, that it's, these people are being bad. Well, you gotta look at what they're dealing with, right? I was bet every day for a year. And, and that takes a mental toll on you besides a physical toll. And that's what a lot of people don't understand because they've never been in it. They've never worked it. They've never practiced it. They never learned more than the headlines. And we need to, we need to understand it's just a science. You know, I've never thought about it from the ABA therapist perspective because I've thought about it from the parents' perspective who, you know, daily we, we see our kids and, you know, sometimes there are some very difficult behaviors like aggression, like you were talking about biting. Um, but the therapist, 
of course, they love the kids they work with, but they're not parents. And day after day, like you said, they sometimes have to deal with like these aggressive behaviors and like things that are, I mean, difficult. And of course, it does not excuse abuse at all. But I think they deserve some some credits. And, you know, in the first place, they chose a field to help autistic kids. Um, and I think just that shows that, I mean, they have a good herd, they want to do good. Um, and I really wish we could show more of the great things ABA does, but we're at a point now where people are afraid to speak fondly of ABA because they know they're going to get attacked on social media. And that's why I really wanted to show the I don't know why people think ABA only cares about verbal language, for instance, verbal communication, because if taught my son like pecs, AAC, um, they tried sign language, but you know, he didn't have the fine motor and imitation skills, but there are so many things that are being spread around on social media that are not based in truth. And I think there needs to be more people like you and I speaking about that aspect too, um, of it. So thank you for, uh, for using your voice to, to speak, speak about it. No problem. I think uh, this past year has just ruminated people, you know, they've, they've just been online for a year and they just interact with this, the same people, right? This is, we have to remember also that there's only 2% of the population of, in the world is autistic. We need to view the larger aspect. We can't just stay in that little circle our whole lives, right? It, it's a much bigger world out there. And we have to, if we truly want to, people to think we empathize, we need to try our best to empathize, not just with autistic people, but with everybody. And if you could speak just a little bit from your experience, I have a feeling it's similar to mine. And that is when you know, so for April, the month of April, I, I tried something on social media, which which didn't go over well. It was don't just one day this month, listen to somebody you don't agree with. You don't have to agree with them. Just hear what they have to say and move on. And, and just even the response I got on even like LinkedIn pro professional network, um, it was almost sad and disappointing, just asking people, just hear the other side. And I even tried to say, even if you're an asshole, right? Hear the other side, so then you can counter their arguments, right? That's how you win in the debate. That's how you be a spy. Like, okay, even if you hate them, like listen to them, like even if you approach it that way. Um, and I think that was a side tangent, but the point that I was going to make was, you know, you're working with teams and individuals with higher support needs. And a way I feel is, you know, that if it's not me working with somebody with higher support needs, if it's not Eileen and myself and you on this podcast, then who would it be? And what I found as well is that if I'm asked to help or I offer my help, the reception from all the parties involved, right, has been surprisingly so positive, right? It, the, the toxicity 
comes more from, let's call it our own community. And not saying that there aren't, there's bad people everywhere, right? There's silly or dumb people everywhere, right? But what I found is, you know, just asking somebody the question, right? Rather than assume they were trying to be mean, just saying, you know, um, hey, I'd like to offer my opinion. Here's where I'm coming from. Can I help? And the vast majority, I, I mean, you know, are absolutely, they want to hear what we have to say. And all we have to do is do it in a respectful nice manner. Yeah. And it, it doesn't have to always be nice. Eileen knows me. I, I am far from always nice, right? But to try to at least meet someone where they are. So do you want to share like a little bit about that experience of working with the I support team? I'm like that, that impresses me a lot. Right. Because that, to me, that that's advocacy. Like that's making a difference. Right. Because like you may not understand, you may not be that person exactly. Right. But you can probably understand that person in many ways more than anyone else in the room. And if you canceled, if you weren't there at all, what would that look like? Yeah, definitely. Um, so a lot of it uh, comes down to, I try to figure out, you know, is, is there a health issue first off, right? Because when we're dealing with, with anything that has a, um, a result, we're looking for results, right? We can get so ingrained in we're looking for results that we forget sometimes about the person in front of us, right? And if we forget about the person in front of us and we're just looking at results, there are some things that can pass by like medical issues and stuff like that. And so I add a new perspective, a new set of eyes, you know, to say, hey, what's really going on here, right? If a kid is doing this behavior, what are they really trying to communicate, right? Instead of looking at it from a attention-seeking, uh, avoidance, whatever uh, the behavior has been deemed, let's, let's dig a little bit further and see what they're trying to say. Um, that's kind of how I dealt with uh, when I worked uh, as a behavior assistant was, hey, let's try to figure out what's really going on here. You know, if a, a kid is um, stemming a certain way that we don't understand, well, I'm going to try to stem that way too and see what's, why they're doing that. What, what input are they getting from that, you know, so we can understand the individual better because at the end of the day, if you understand a person better, you can help them better. And so just being able to, to add that new, new pair of eyes and be able to to just see it through a perspective of, oh, did you, this behavior is, is going on. Did you think about the sound or are there any TVs on at that time? You know, things like we said, we didn't think uh, other, we thought were normal, right? That ended up not being normal. And so those kind of perspectives, because I mean, you're working with three or four kids a week and, and 
you're so busy on on getting those objectives that you forget oh the tv's on every day at three and oh behavior is going on every day at three well sometimes that gets slips through the cracks right and so then you're just dealing with the behavior without understanding the the antecedent right so we have to um sometimes just adding those extra set of eyes can provide a great uh asset to to those meetings you used to use the actually autistic hashtag and you might still do uh, can you tell us a bit more about why you do use it or not use it uh yeah i I still use it because I think it, uh, even though I don't agree with with why people actually think they're actually autistic, I don't know what that actually means, you know. Um, but I kind of use it somewhat ironically sometimes um, now, just to try to get a point across, you know, um, like the whole thing with Elon Musk, um, the fact that 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 crowd is uh, clamoring that we have to move on to acceptance and not awareness, but they won't even accept an uh, individual in their own community. Like, how can you accept someone without your neurotype to accept you when you're not even, you're sitting there not even accepting someone of your own neurotype? Like, it, who cares what you think about Elon Musk? He's a person that can drop a billion dollars into autism services and it not even affect his sleep. And you're saying how he doesn't represent you and all this and that when you should just be putting your arm around him and trying to get him to help us. Like that that's one of the most emotional uh, you're 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 just proving you're a human by using all that emotion right because people say oh we're logical the logical person says this person's rich let's try to you know <laughs> get get some of that money for us emotion person is going to be like this person isn't a good person doesn't represent us blah 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 right and so that's that's just my two cents <laughs> I was looking at Andrew's face. We, we had that question for you and uh, we we answered it. I think we, we went over the, the advocacy and the actually autistic community. Um, well, I have one more part of that. No, I, I do want to ask. Well, Mark, how? <laughs> <laughs> See, I can do it because you're asking me to say it. How has the reception been to uh, to all of this? Very good, surprisingly. Uh, I mainly work with uh, doctors, so okay. uh, people that have doctorate degrees in ABA, and they've been so receptive, so open-minded to, to listen to my voice whenever I speak up. And one of the reasons why I took this, this gig as a autism advocate is the, the owner was the first person to kind of listen to me when I was like, hey, what about this? What about that? You know, let's look at these other things. And he would, truly was amazed at that. I, I could just like that, you know, I could understand what was going on just like that. And so him kind of respecting me that way and listening to me and, and, and implementing things, I was like, 
hey, this is what's going on as a behavior assistant, even though I didn't want to do that as a career, he's brought me back in as an advocate for the company. And since I've gotten my business to where it is, I work with individuals with autism in, in my own field. And, and I've been pretty successful. People listen to me. You know, I've created that platform for myself that uh, allows me to to stand in, in those spaces and have my voice be heard and not looked down upon because I have I have the record. You know, I have the resume that speaks volumes, um, which uh, took a lot of years to get. It, it's not easy, you know, and a lot of people think that that just because you're autistic people are going to listen to you on uh, autistic matters. And, and that's just not the case. You know, you have to, you have to build up a resume to, for people to, to say, okay, yeah, they, they know what they're talking about. You know, um, that's like anything in life though, right? Are, are you saying that just because you have autism doesn't mean that you're instantly an expert on autism? Correct. I mean, you're an expert on your own. But you're not going to be an expert on, on, on little Jimmy's, right? You're not going to be an expert on um, someone online that um, you haven't met. You know, you're, you're going to be an expert on your own. Everybody's an expert on their own selves. And, and I like that kind of lead, uh, <laughs> Andrew, with that. Is, is I, I know where you're going with that. But, yes, it. it it, everybody is an expert on their own. Now, if you've been around individuals like I have for the past five years, you know, you pick up things, right? Parents, they're, they're the experts on their kids, but that's about it, right? Because you're around that behavior 24-7. I'm around 17 different people a week you know, that exhibit different behaviors that exhibit, that are completely different than mine that I have to adjust to. So I'm not a, I wouldn't call myself an autism professional, but I do know probably more than the average person when it comes to that sort of stuff. I think something is true is that we are only an expert on our own autism, but for people who, like you, as a professional, see, see kids every day, uh, it still gives you a good insight, not like a stranger on the internet. You know, you see these kids, these people every single day. Me, as a parent, um, I see my child 24-7. Well, not when they're sleeping, but... <laughs> but you know what I'm saying. So it still gives you a little bit more insight than those strangers on the internet who are telling you how to parent your, your child. And um, I, I, I appreciate wh what you're saying and the fact that you're autistic, but you still recognize that there are some people with autism with um, higher support needs. So we're going to move on to the quick fire questions, Mark. So what it is, is that I'm going to ask you some really quick questions and you have to answer the first thing that comes to mind. Okay. Super fun. What is the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Just be yourself. What do you like to do to relax? Uh, watch TV or play video games. What's your What's favorite your... TV or video games? 
True. Um, video games would be the Assassin's Creed series. Um, and TV show would be an anime called One Piece. So I was recently watching Monk. I went through the whole whole show Monk. Love it. But I sat there, they're mad half the time because they weren't following like ADA compliances. You know, I was I was mad because the show could have ended in like the third season because I mean they gave him a test and they wouldn't give him the proper accommodations. And I'm saying they're like, I shouldn't be watching a TV show and worried about all this stuff that they're doing <laughs> wrong. You know? Like oh. so Monk yeah. is so great. I love Monk. He's very relatable. I mean, I'm not like him, but yes, I like him a lot. So since you are autistic and therefore good at math, <laughs> Andrew. <laughs> I changed the questions on Eileen. So let's, let's try again. She didn't know that I changed this. Um, go, well, let's okay, try it. No, let's, let's try it. Since you are autistic and obviously very good at math, how many digits do you know pi? How many digits of pi do you know? I would only go 3.14. Not that far. I think that's fine. No, I, I I probably when I was doing math I could remember more, but there's no point. There's no point. It's never ending. <laughs> so true. There you go. Thank you for coming today in our podcast, Adulting on the Spectrum. It was uh, really fun to talk to you. Actually, if you want to tell people where to find you online, now is a great time. If you want to tell them where you are on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, your website, anything you want to tell them, now is a great time. Awesome. So uh, rather you follow my business over me. So uh, we're on Facebook at Equally Fit FL, Equally Fit Tampa on Facebook and Instagram Equally Fit FL. And if you do want to follow me, just type in my name, Mark Fleming, on Instagram or Facebook. And you can check out what my business is, does, my accomplishments, all that at equallyfit.com.